Thanks, Jess. Hey, it's great to be together. It's good to be here. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. Um, I want to kick us off with a question, and I, I'm asking this question not just to take up space, but I want you to think about this question, um, both corporately but also introspectively to yourself. And the question is this, do you ever wonder why people do what they do? Okay? Now, again, like kind of a Captain Obvious kind of question to ask, right? Of course we wonder why people do what we do, right? If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, um, if you... If you were on next door, for sure, you, you probably ask that question a lot. Um, but, but it's often easy for us to run to the, that kind of question. Like, man, why did they just do that, right? Or you watch the news and you see something that happens. And you say, what in the world is going on? Or maybe you see things um, that, that um, you know, at work or different places, or, and it's easy to ask that question. But it's also easy to ask a question about our own selves sometimes too, Right? Like, if we're really honest, it's sometimes easy to ask the question of, like, man, why did I just do that? Like, why do I do what I do? And, and I, I want to ask that question at the beginning because as we process together this morning, as we look at the life of Moses, as we continue in our series, um, I, I want to I be real, though, about the reality that we're not just here to think about other people. We're actually here to think about ourselves, and as we think about ourselves, I want us to ask the question, why do I do what I do? And we're going to ask that question about the Israelites because there's definitely going to be some things um, in, in the text today. But, but on a deeper level, I want, I want you to ask that question about yourself. And, and I say that and I'll share a story of a time when I asked the question, why did I just do that? Okay, uh, Kirsten, my wife, and I were on a vacation and she was actually pregnant with one of our kids. And um, we thought, man, let's just get away. And um, I mean, she was still pretty early on, so, so she wasn't super uncomfortable. And, and so we, uh, we decided to go to the country of Belize. Has anyone ever been to Belize? If you haven't, I'm not a travel agent, but I will definitely hook you up with a great place to stay in Belize and highly recommend going there because it's a really, really cool place. And um, anyways, Belize is this tiny little country, super tiny, that's just south of Cancun, about 150 miles uh, between Guatemala and Mexico. And so we were staying on this tiny little island called San Pedro Island. And on San Pedro Island, um, there's all sorts of different excursions to, to take place. And one of the excursions that kind of piqued our interest, again, answering the question, why do I do what I do, um, was to go swim with sharks, okay? And, and I remember um, Kirsten and I saw that, and for whatever reason, there was something inside of us that was like, that sounds like a great idea, you know? I mean, I look at Kirsten, I'm like, you're pregnant? Let's go swim with sharks. That makes total sense, right? I mean, we, you know, it wasn't in a cage. It was just swimming with live sharks, not tame sharks. Can you even tame a shark? I don't know. I mean, it was like straight up, like we're going to the middle of the ocean, and we're going to jump in the ocean with sharks and swim with them. And not only that, but we're going to pay money to go do this, right? You're looking at me, Debbie, you got a great look right now of like, why would you ever do that? And I'm still asking the question today, um, but obviously we survived it. And, and what was so interesting about this excursion was this. Um, as our boat pulled up to um, this place called Shark Ray Alley, it came to a stop. And as it came to a stop, imagine I'm standing on the edge of the boat, okay? And I'm looking out over the ocean, and I see all these dark, like, figures coming towards me at a rapid pace, okay? 
And as they get within like 10, 15 seconds, our boat is completely surrounded by sharks. Like completely. There's sharks everywhere, which was cool from the boat, right? But, but I'm looking down at these sharks and I'm realizing, like reality hit me. And I'm asking myself the question, why Am I doing what I'm about to do right now? And to make matters worse, um, the sharks were there. And as the sharks were there, some dude from the boat, one of our guides, started throwing fish in to the water. And the sharks are destroying the fish because they're so hungry. And again, I'm thinking, I'm about ready to jump off this boat into this water. Why am I doing what I am about to do? And I, I promise you, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, it's okay to say it in the message, but um, I, I probably relieve myself about five times as I'm looking down at these sharks. I mean, I have used, I'm, there's nothing left in my system at this point because I'm looking at sharks and I'm thinking, okay, am I really going to go through with this? And for whatever reason, um, to make matters even a little bit more worse, the, the guide on the boat says, hey, Nate, the pool is open you should jump in it, okay? And so I'm standing there, I'm looking at the sharks, I'm looking at my pregnant wife wondering, am I ever gonna see this child and my wife ever again? And, and for whatever crazy reason, the guide kept whispering to me, Nate, it's gonna be okay, just trust me, it's gonna be okay. You can do this, it's gonna be okay. And so I jumped. I jumped in the water and, and I was like a little kid, you know, like, you know, when little kids learn how to swim and they start learning how to swim, you're doing the doggy paddle because they're panicking, totally me, panicking, freaking out. There's sharks all around me. And, and right as I'm about ready to jump in the boat, guess what? Guess what I hear? Hey, Nate, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm right here next to you. And I look over and it's my guide. And for the next 20 or 30 minutes, I stayed in the water. And I swam with these sharks. And I had one of the greatest experiences of my life. But it was also one of the scariest experiences of my life. And if it wasn't for my guide being right next to me, with me the entire time, I don't know if I, well, for sure I couldn't have done it. And I share that because for me, in some ways, that is, that's a metaphor that represents kind of what my life has been like following Jesus. He promised me that he would be my guide, that if I trusted my life to him, that he would never abandon me, that he would never walk away from me, that he would be with me through the good times and the bad times, through the scary times and through the, the times that are really, really fun. He promised me that no matter where I went, he would be with me. And that's my testimony. Through the good and the bad, I know that he's always been with me. And maybe you have a similar story. Maybe, maybe you have chosen to follow Jesus and, and you, you look at your life and you say, yeah, that's me too. That's me too. That's my story. That's my story. And as we share this, get into the story of Moses today, um, I want to I share with you the story of, we're going to look at when God provides manna for the Israelites Manna was this food, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, that God provided. But um, if, if you have your Bibles, I want you to actually open up to Exodus chapter 16, because we're going to read it in a second. But as we look at this story, I want you to think about your own life. And I, think you, I want you to think about the places that God has led you, the way he has worked in your life, the way he has been a guiding force in your life. 
to direct you to places you might never go on your own. You see, in the past few weeks, we've been looking at the story of Moses. And we've been looking at how God has brought him through some unusual circumstances, some places that he would never go on his own. And the way he's walked with the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's taken them into a land that God had promised to them. And now, obviously, it hadn't always been easy up until this point. They had endured a lot of suffering because of the Egyptians. They had to take the longer route to get to the promised land instead of the shorter, easier road. And they had a lack of food and they had a lack of water. But every single time they struggled, every single time they had a difficult moment, they saw the faithfulness of God who stuck by his promises and reminded them that they are not alone and that he would provide for them. They could trust him with their life. And today I want to pick up the story of Moses right after Israelites had miraculously crossed the Red Sea. I mean, what a story that is, right? I mean, they're, about, they're, they're facing sure death, and God out of nowhere provides an escape route right through a sea. He, I mean, what a miracle that would be, right? And thanks be to God because he did what he did, that they were safe. But in reality, the Israelites were seeing miracles every single day. And after looking at this story of the way God provided for the Israelites, I want to take a moment to just challenge each of us to think about three life skills that I believe every one of us in this room and those of us watching online and watching later, I believe there are three life skills that we, as followers of Jesus, can put on. And I want to just invite you to step into this journey because I believe these life skills aren't just things that are going to get us through the day, but I believe they're life skills that will help us in the days to come. And they're not just life skills that will help us in the days to come, but I believe if we all put on these life skills, if we take these on, I believe that God's going to do something in our midst. I believe when we pray and we seek God for what he has plans for the future, I believe that God's going to use these kind of skills to help us see where he wants to lead us as we seek after him. So we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites were on their second month of traveling. And they're already grumbling. They're already angry for the third time. And it says this in Exodus 16, verses 2 through 5. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, when they say community here, let me just help you understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a family reunion. All right, Moses wasn't having a little family reunion with a bunch of friends from Israel and relatives from Israel, like where it was like 30 or 40 people traveling. It's estimated that there are around 2 million people or so traveling with Moses. That's a lot of people. That's like all of, almost all of Kansas City traveling together. Okay? And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, right? The Israelites, they're delusional right now. They didn't eat with big pots of meat and stuff. I mean, they were slaves. They were treated like that. But they said, man, if only we ate all the food like we did back in the day. And then it goes on to say, but you have brought us into, the de into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, remember God, he's never away from us. He's his guide. He's right with him. Moses is trusting him. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in. And that will be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. So here we have the Israelites. They're angry. They're hangry, right? Who gets hangry here? I get hangry all the time. Okay, especially, especially on Sundays. Like I just, you know, like I come home from church and I'm kind of like Fred Flintstone a little bit. You know, remember Fred Flintstone? We'd come home from work and he'd get home and he'd be like, women, where's the food? I, no, I'm not like that towards my wife. But like, I mean, we get hangry and it causes us sometimes to do things and we just get a little, you know, you know what it's like. We've, we've all been there and we start just saying things we probably shouldn't say, whatever. Um, but anyways, I think the Israelites, they're a little hangry right now. And once again, like they find themselves in a place where they start complaining. And they ask this question, why have you brought us out here to die when we could have just stayed in, in Egypt? Like these Israelites, they're just, they're hangry, they're mad, and they're dreaming of the days when they were slaves. Like that's not a great place to be. And I think in a lot of ways, like, we might be able to relate to their hangriness again a little bit. Like, we, we oftentimes can be like this. We say things to God. We get mad at God when things don't necessarily go our way. And we're like, God, what are you doing right now, right? Like, what are you doing? Why have you done this to my life? I was better off before you stepped in, sometimes we might say. Like, we just find ourselves saying things and venting to God in the midst of difficult times. And like the Israelites, we just love to question God. But just like the Israelites, God is revealing himself to us on a daily basis in many different ways. I believe that in, their, in the midst of our questioning God, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our doubt, I believe God is big enough to handle those kind of things. And I believe in the midst of it, he whispers in our ear, I'm right here. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm not leaving your side. And so God told Moses that he was going to help and he was going to provide. And he heard his cries and he heard his prayers. And God literally tells Moses that he's going to make it rain bread. I mean, how cool would that be to see, right? He's going to make it rain bread. You want bread? I'm going to bring it to you. And it's going to fall on you right now. But he also wanted to make sure that the Israelites were listening to him. So not only did he say, I'm going to bring food for you, I'm going to provide bread, and I'm going to provide quail, but I'm going to, I'm going to put a little test in your way too, because I want to see if you're going to listen to me. And so he gave them the command, when the bread comes and the quail comes, only take enough for one day. Because I want you to know that I'm going to show up in your life over and over and over again. And so he gave them that command. And not only that, but God wanted to make sure that he knew that they were taken care of. And so sure enough, the evening came, and the camp was covered with quail. Then in the morning, a bread-like substance covered the ground, and the Israelites had never seen anything like this before, it says in the text. And so they called it manna 
which ironically means what? What is this? Like the Hebrew for manna literally means, what is this? I mean, imagine walking out and Israelites, like not very creative in the Bible's part, but like, what is this? Like, what is this stuff? And they're like, hey, that's a good name for it. Let's just call it that. And so they called it manna. And so the people grabbed it and they ate it. And it was a reminder that they could trust God. However, some of the Israelites didn't listen to God's command as we see in the text. And they tried to keep some of the bread overnight because they got a little bit greedy. And in the morning time, the bread was filled with maggots and it smelled really, really bad because they didn't listen to the commands of God. They didn't trust that God had their best interest in mind. But as God also commanded on a sixth day, they were, to, they were to gather enough for two days, twice as much as they would typically gather. It's actually the first time in, in uh, the Old Testament where we see pictures of Sabbath. And the next morning, the bread was completely fine. It wasn't spoiled. And again, before we start shaking our heads and wondering why the Israelites didn't fully trust God, some of them who gathered too many, I think it's easy for us, to, and it's probably important for us, to look in the mirror a little bit. Because I think we do that too. Sometimes we don't listen to what God commands us to do. He says, get enough bread for one day, and sometimes we're like, man, God, yeah, I, I don't know if you really know what you're doing on this one, so I'm going to gather for a couple days. And it's easy for us to get greedy. And it's easy for us to not necessarily trust him because we think we know what's best. It's like we try to live off of what God has done in the past instead of what he's doing right now and trusting him in the present. And so the Israelites continue to move forward towards the promised land, still with manna falling daily from the sky. God is providing for them. They're trusting him and he's providing every single day. And then as they camped one night, they realized that they didn't have enough water. To drink. I mean, water for two million people in a desert would not be easy to come by. So, of course, they do what they're famous for doing. They start to what? Complain. And so in Exodus 17, verses 3 through 6, it says this, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered to Moses. Again, Moses is trusting him. He's crying out to God. He's going, God, I trust you that when I cry out to you, you're going to hear my cry and you're going to be there. And the Lord answers Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So that's kind of cool, right? I mean, you think about once again, the Israelites are grumbling, but God has a plan. They can trust him. He hasn't given up on them. And God comes through with the promises as he always does. And so Moses hits the rock And fresh water comes out, which I think would be pretty awesome to see. Now, fast forward with me two years, okay, from this moment. 
Moses hits the rock, water comes out. Go two years, two years forward. The Israelites were right up on the edge of the promised land. If I can use a football term, they are in the red zone. Okay, they're about ready to score the game-winning touchdown to win the Super Bowl. They were so close. They were so close. And God had promised this land to them. Hence the name Promised Land. So Moses sends out 12 spies, right? I mean, a lot of us know this story. Moses sends out 12 spies to check it all out and report back to him if they could take over the land. Ten of the spies come back, and they're freaked out. And they're like, no, 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 no. No, there is no way. It is way too dangerous. Two of the spies say what? We can take the land, but only with God's help, right? We can take the land, but only with God's help. And so in true Israelite fashion, the Israelites begin, they're freaking out. And because of their lack of trust in God, he responds by telling them that none of the adult Israelites who are complaining would ever see the promised land. They would all die before they reached it. Now, I wish I could spend more time on this history because it's a great story. We've talked about it before. But I want to jump ahead right now, and I want to look at a really awesome piece of Moses' story that sounds familiar to what we read just a moment ago, but it's actually quite different. And I think, again, this plays into the lessons we can learn about trust. In Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 8, it says this, Now, there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness? That we and our livestock should die here again. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water for us to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them, right? Here they are. Where's their guide? Right next to them. They fall flat on their face, and God's presence is right there with them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will what? Pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So let's pause for a second. Sounds familiar, right? Like it sounds very similar to what we just read. And as this, as this chapter opens, it has now been 40 years the Israelites had, since the Israelites had left Egypt. And 38 years since they sent the spies into the land. The people had wandered for 38 years. And now they come back to the very place where they had sent the spies. Like I said, they were in the red zone. They were no closer, though, to the promised land than they had been 38 years later. And these wasted, and in these wasted years, it's estimated that over 600,000 people had died. Not only that, but the ones that were complaining, the ones that were hangry, the ones that weren't happy, they were the ones from a new generation. But they acted just like who? Their past generation. 
Most of this generation wasn't there for the parting of the sea, the people that were now complaining. They didn't see what had happened, but they saw the daily presence. They still saw the daily presence and provision that God had provided through a cloud, fire, and manna. So God told Moses and he told Aaron to take the staff and gather everyone together so they could see what God was doing for them. And God told Moses not to smack the rock this time like he had done before, but instead to speak to it because water would pour forth. And then it says in in Numbers chapter 20, verses 9 through 12, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, and just as he commanded him, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Nice thing to say, right? So Nate Powell talks to our staff all the time. He's like, you rebel. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. But he says, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of the rock? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and livestock drank. But the Lord, and hear this, the Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust me enough, to honor me as, as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give you. Because you didn't what? Trust me. At this point, 40 years into the journey, Moses, his patience was exhausted. First, out of anger and frustration, he called the Israelites a bunch of rebels And then he said, must we, think about that, must we bring you water out of this rock? He then struck the rock, which isn't what God told him to do. And God told him to speak to the rock instead. But he didn't listen. But water still came out. Moses had this lack of trust. And because of his lack of trust, In front of the Israelites, Moses and Aaron were not allowed to enter the promised land. Can you imagine leading people for 40 years, 2 million people for 40 years? You're leading them and you're dealing with all their drama. And you're about to enter the promised land and you're told you can't do it. What a place for Moses to be in. So as I mentioned earlier, what I want to do in closing is I want to just share with us, based on what we just read, three life skills or maybe life lessons that I believe every one of us in this room, those watching online, I believe these are three lessons that I believe we can all put into practice. Because trusting God isn't just giving words at God, okay? It's not that. It's our our life in action, right? Right? It's hearing his words and then putting them in to practice. And so I want to just draw our attention to three life lessons, and then we'll be done together. The first life lesson that I believe each of us in this room and those of us watching online can put into practice is this. And this is going to be a little strong, but I think, I think we need to hear it. We need to stop living from prior encounters with God and instead seek him today. We need to stop living from prior encounters that we have with God and seek him 
today or right now. And it's not that those prior encounters that we have with God aren't great and good memories. But Moses had a lot of amazing encounters with God throughout his life. But as he got older and more frustrated with the Israelites, Moses started living his life based on his prior encounters he had instead of seeking to obey God in the moment. Why do I say this? It's right in the text. Because the Bible tells us that while God told Moses earlier in his life to strike the rock with his staff and water would come out, this time God specifically told Moses to do what? To speak to the rock. But Moses didn't listen. And instead, he did what he'd always done before. And that was disobedience. You may think that this is something we never do, but I promise we all do this all the time. We have an amazing experience and encounter with God, whether it's here at church, in a small group, or, or a retreat, or some kind of event. But as time goes along, we don't think that we need to spend the time with God, maybe, that we have in the past. And it causes a problem for us because we just look back instead of looking to what he might be saying to us right now. And while I know that God did something incredible in all of our lives at one point, I believe God has something for us today, right? His mercies are new what? Every day. And so instead of always looking back at the glory days, maybe what God is saying to us today and a skill that we need to develop is we need to stop looking at previous encounters and we need to look at what he might be saying right now, today, and getting our vision from that. Life lesson number two. Jesus is the only source of living water and we are not Jesus. And I know you're looking at me going, okay, <laughs> thank you, right? Again, Captain Obvious, okay? But, but I want you to think about it. Actually, I want you to say these words in your head. That Jesus is the only source of living water, and we are not Jesus. Again, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to actually live our lives in such a way where we live this out. We need to start living this out. In response to the complaints of the Israelites, when Moses got mad, look at what he said. Must we bring you water out of the rock? You see, Moses thought he was actually the source of the water. That by his strength and by his ability, water would come out of the rock. But Moses was not God. And while Moses thought he was the source, Jesus is actually living water, right? Like Jesus is living water. One of the best stories in scripture, one of my favorite stories is Jesus and the encounter he has with the woman at the well where he makes it crystal clear to her who's the living water and where her source of life can come from. He's talking about the water that gives eternal life, which is salvation. And just like how the first rock was struck by Moses to give water so they could live, Jesus is our source of living water so that you and I might live. My question for us is, are we 
trusting that source? Are we trusting that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? And are we living our lives in such a way? Life lesson number three. You can't just pick up manna. You need to consume it. If I were an Israelite in the desert and I collected manna every day but never ate it, what would I do? I would die. Just because manna was present didn't mean that they were going to find life. The people needed to consume it. And I believe the same is true about Jesus. That we can come to church all the time. We can be a part of small groups. We can be a part of our adult communities. We can go to youth group. We can do all these kind of things. But if we don't consume what we are learning and put it into practice, we're just collecting a bunch of stuff that doesn't do us any good. You see, manna doesn't do us any good if we don't consume it. The people's doubt in God's provision was frustrating Moses, and it was disappointing God. I bet God feels the same disappointment oftentimes when he looks at what he provides for us on a daily basis when we don't consume it. There's a great study that's been done um, recently by the Barna Institute. And one of their studies was built around like, what is, the, what is the different ways that people grow in their faith? And you know what number one was? So simple. Bible reading. Just reading God's word. Like the number one, and it wasn't even close. The number one thing that people can do if you want to grow in your faith is to open up God's word and what? Consume it. It's not just a book. It's literally written so it can change our life. But it's not going to change our life if we just read, read, read bits and pieces of it that we like or we agree with. And I'm not sure that makes me a little uncomfortable. Consume the whole thing and let it change you from the inside out. Listen to what John 6, 48 through 51 says. Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate what? They ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may, not, may, may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will what? Will live forever. What do you want your life to be remembered by? What do you want your life to be remembered by? What do we want our church to be remembered by? I pray that we are the kind of people that learn to trust the work of the Lord in our life. That we are the kind of people and the kind of church that hears these words and puts them into practice. And you know, it's easy for us, though, to, to, to at this point, you hear those words and you're like, dude, you don't know about my life, and which... You're right, I don't know about all of your lives, but here's what I do know, is that we worship a God that is a pursuing God, a God that you can bank your life on, a God that you can trust with every part of your being, a God that created you to be in a relationship with him. 
And oftentimes it's easy for us to point out all the mess in our lives. There's a great story actually um, that Corey Ten Boom tells. It's really, really awesome. If, if um, you are familiar, which I think probably most of you are, Corey Ten Boom, um, she was a Christian um, who, um, in the Netherlands whose family hid from the Jews during World War II. And her entire family was sent to a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, she, I mean, she was just an incredible person. And she led worship and Bible studies. And, and after she was released, she spent the next 31 years of her life talking about and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and how he can change our lives forever. And oftentimes during her presentation to audiences and as she would share, she would often hold up the backside of a piece of embroidery. Maybe you've seen this before. And many people would wonder when she would hold up that picture, as you can see behind me, they would wonder if she held up the wrong side, if she had made a mistake. And as she held up the messy side of the embroidery, she would always ask, does God always grant us what we ask for in our prayers? Not always sometimes, or not always. Sometimes he says no. This is because God knows what we don't know. God knows all. And then she would draw attention to the embroidery. And she would say these words, the wrong side of the embroidery always looks like chaos. She said it's just like our limited vision our limited perspective on what God can do in our life. And then she would flip it around and she would say, but look at the beautiful picture on the other side. In the, on the other side of the chaos and the mess was this beautiful picture of a crown. My friends, when we learn to trust our lives to Jesus, when we trust him, Yes, we ride a roller coaster. Yes, there are good times and there are difficult times. But, but when we can trust him with the chaos, the messiness of our life. Remember, Scripture says, while we're sinners, what? Christ, what? He died for us. In the midst of our chaos, in the midst of the ugliness of what things look like, he says to you and me, you're not going to be defined by what doesn't look very good. You're going to be defined by me. You're going to be defined on what I can do when you trust me with the mess in your life. I want to pray over us right now. And I want to pray that God would continue to work in our midst, that he would work in our lives. And as I pray, I want to just pretend like you and I are just hanging out and I'm just praying with you. And I want to just invite you to open your heart up to the Lord. And I want you to offer up the mess the things in your life that don't look like him right now. And I want to encourage you as you offer that up to him to trust that he can do something with your mess and make it into a beautiful creation for him. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. And God, we truly do open our lives up to you. Lord, we put our trust in you. And God, as our thoughts are filled with doubt and question right now, as, as we think about our own lives, as we think about even the messiness of our life, the life that might not look like you, God, as we even give you all sorts of excuses over and over and over again about why you should not love us, 
God, we trust you. God, we trust you because we know who our true guide is. And God, as you whisper into our ear and speak into our heart, God, we trust your voice. Our lives are anchored to you. And so, Lord, thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you just can't even help it. And God, I pray as we leave here today, God, that you would help us to just rest in your trust that we have in you. We thank you, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.